Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the MedTech Impact Podcast, where you get to hear from leaders and innovators who are shaping the future of medical technology. I'm Kyle Cruz. And I'm Richard Mikkeljohn. And we're your hosts of the show. Today we have with us Scott Nelson, co-founder, president, and CEO of FastWave Medical. Scott, welcome to the show. <laughs> that's that, that's one of the better intros, right? That I've come across, and I've done it. I've you know been on a fair number of podcasts, so pleasure to be on, guys. Really looking forward to the uh, the, the the chat. Oh man, awesome. thanks. Yeah, no, absolutely. We're we're thrilled to have you, and um, yeah, we've got to make this exciting. We got to have some fun here, you know, uh, trying to you know, uh, bring some, some new energy, uh, no pun intended to the, uh, the med tech industry and community. So with that said, tell us what fast wave medical is doing. What is the problem that you are trying to solve? Yeah. So, so, so fast wave is a re relatively young company, right? Uh, a little over two years in the making, and we are designing and developing intravascular lithotripsy systems or IDL is the acronym that's often used. Um, and I'll, I'll kind of paint the picture as if uh, the listeners aren't like super in the weeds uh, with respect to cardiovascular, uh, the cardiovascular space. So um, what this technology does, the, the end goal is to, to, to modify uh, calcific plaque in an artery in order to sort of open up the pipe, so to speak. So the, the best analogy is to think about, you know, plumbing, right? You've got a clogged pipe. What we're talking about here is that that clog is largely related to to to, to uh, difficult you know calcific disease that's oftentimes difficult to treat. We're trying to crack that that plaque to get it to open up, right? So we can you know uh, 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 deliver blood um, adequately through 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 uh, through the blood vessels. And so that's a super high level overview, right? Obviously, I can we can certainly get into into the weeds from a, a technical perspective if needed. But that's sort of that's sort of a, 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 hopefully that provides sort of a, a high level overview of kind of what we're what we're doing at FastWave. Sure, absolutely. Uh, maybe an analogy is liquid Drano, even though that <laughs> you're using energy to do to clear those pipes. Um, yeah. Or you know, or we'll get into more about the technology there. But uh, yeah. what is, I guess, the current though standard of care in this area? Yep. Well, that that analogy of like liquid Drano, right? Like if you go to the Home Depot store, you see, you know, you go to that section, right, or that 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 uh, that kind of you know that that department, if you will, that plumbing department, and there's like there's a lot of choices, right? I mean, you can choose like like some hot chemicals, you can choose like you know traditional Drano, et cetera. Sort of sort of applicable, right, to what we're talking about in the sense that a lot of physicians, interventional cardiologists, vascular surgeons, some interventional radiologists still do this do this type of work. There's a lot of tools to to, to use uh, these days, right? You've got traditional balloon angioplasty, which has been around for decades. You've got stents. Uh, you've got specialty balloons, right? But when I say specialty balloons, I'm talking about angioplastic balloons that have scoring elements, et cetera. Uh, then you've got, you know, a whole, whole set of different atherectomy tools. And atherectomy, you know, for those that aren't familiar, it, you know, these are kind of cutting or ablating tools that are used to kind of like sand down or extract uh, plaque out of, a, out of a vessel. All of those different modalities, they come with pros and cons, just like everything else. Um, but when it comes to um, calcific disease, especially, right? We're talking about hard calcific plaque um, that's oftentimes diffuse. Those modalities I just mentioned are, are um, they really struggle with that specific disease. Um, and uh, there's not, they're either kind of diff difficult to use. Maybe they, they, they work okay at best. Um, some don't really work at all. And so um, intravascular lithotripsy is a reasonably, you know, or relatively new, I should say, modality. Um, the category itself, IBL category, was created by a company called Shockwave Medical. 
Um, and the inventors of that device were Dan, Dan Hawkins and, and Tom Britton. Um, and, uh, and they created this category. And in essence, what, 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 what this technology does is it produces shockwaves inside of an angioplasty balloon that are then delivered through, through the balloon uh, into the into the into the vessel in order to create fissures or cracks in the in the calcium, right? And the, and the idea there is you want to modify or kind of uh, increase the compliance of the calcium in order to get the vessel to expand. And so in essence, it, you know that that's kind of what we're doing is we're do delivering energy inside of a inside of a balloon that creates shock waves that are then uh, 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 delivered to the actual uh, actual uh, plaque in order to break it up. And and Amazing. you must. Just yeah, so Richard, sorry, go ahead. I wanted to just jump in real quick, and I know we're we're going to get more into that solution, but this is fascinating to me because, you know, you, you Shockwave Medical, to, to you know, you you mentioned them, and obviously, I think a lot of us in the industry have seen how um, successful they've been in the market over the last five years with their technology. But you must have saw, you know an opportunity though with that technology for it to maybe be better and enhance the way the technology works i mean kind of what led you to realize that you know fast wave needed to develop you know whatever it was that was going to be the differentiating factor in, in an effort to really improve outcomes in these areas yeah yes yeah. so it's, it's a great point so kind of going back in time um this was um, I, I mentioned. Fastwave is you know a little bit over 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 two years at this two years old at this point. You know slightly longer than that. But we actually started working on the project. When I say project, it wasn't actually a company at the time. Mm -hmm. We started working on this in mid two thousand twenty, and 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 we we decided to pursue it with more rigor, largely because of two two things. Um, one is that. As a team, we had been tracking the intravascular lithotripsy space for quite some time. Um, but this was before, you know, mid two thousand, early kind of first half of 2020. This was before Shockwave had had a PMA for coronary applications. So it was kind of before the company really started taking off. Mm -hmm. um, and we had a, we had an underlying belief that that the utilization of IVL as, as a tool would, would only increase from, from here, right? Again, this was kind of first half of 2020, that kind of time frame. So again, that, that was kind of one one core belief is that the, you know, we we expected that. And I don't know if that was, you know, I mean, I, I don't think it was an atypical belief, but I don't, I think a lot of people have been surprised at how how fast IVL has taken off. So that was one sort of underlying belief. And then the, the other thing, which is kind of your classic why now movement, right? Which is, you know, typically occurs in any sort of startup is we were also following uh, CSI's effort or cardiovascular systems, which is now quite, you know, has recently been acquired by Abbott. Um, they, they initiated what's called an IPR or an inter-parties review process. Um, and and I, I don't think we, we need to go terribly into the into the weeds here, but um, in essence, they th their goal was to invalidate Shockway, uh, sh uh, several of Shockway's foundational patents. And so we've been kind of watching that and kind of tracking against that. And when the USPTO overwhelmingly ruled in CSI's favor in mid 2020, we, we thought, huh, you know, there, there's, there's probably, probably a little bit more freedom to kind of play around here than what most people perceive. Um, and so that, that's why I say it was kind of our classic why now moment. So we, that, that's at that point, that's when we decided as a, as a founding team to really, really pursue this project with more rigor, started prototyping the back half of 2020, really liked kind of the, the progress we were making. And that's when we decided to spin out the project at the time into a standalone Delaware C Corp, and then uh, pursue a, a Series A round of financing. Brilliant, I love it. And I love that analogy you were using earlier because you made it crystal clear for the audience to think about that problem you're facing. I wonder if you, if it's possible now to do a little bit of the same, you know, thinking about that solution and how that's applied inside the body. I know you spoke about the calcifications, you know, how did your technology breaking that down? Yeah, how does it, how does our technology differ maybe from, from Shockwave? Is that kind of the, the question? 
yeah how did it differ and uh, yeah just in general how is it working just to sort of that step-by-step -step guide for the audience to understand you know this technology in use Yep. Yep. So, so I'll start with kind of uh, kind of a, a broader overview, and then talk a little bit more about maybe you know sort of directionally kind of where we're headed and how 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 fast wave is different. So, um, for those that aren't familiar, angioplasty balloons. I think generally speaking, probably most people that are that are listening to have, have some you know kind of heard of that, right? They maybe have never seen a procedure, but you're in, in essence uh, delivering sort of a a catheter in in, in uh, traversing a catheter through a blood vessel, right, to the uh, to the diseased vessel, right? And when I say diseased vessel, it's it's a it's a it's a pipe, right? With with blockages, right? So you want to you want to try to address these blockages, uh, and, and and really kind of clear the way, right? O open up the vessel so so you can uh, establish uh, blood flow again. And so, uh, what we're what we're uh, what we're doing is with uh, with an angioplasty balloon, you know, we're delivering that to the diseased vessel, and then with a with with an energy generator, right? We're we're producing um, what's called cavitation inside a balloon. So these are like uh, vapor bubbles right that uh, rapidly um collapse almost almost kind of picture like a nuclear bomb like everyone's seen those those images that's kind of what it looks like under under uh, uh high speed imaging it's like a nuclear bomb that explodes uh within the balloon rapidly collapses and then that rapid collapse produces these shock waves so that's that's traditional lithotripsy um intravascular lithotripsy is you want to create cavitation inside the balloon and that rapid collapse of those cavitation bubbles generates the shock waves Right, that that then uh, acoustically kind of uh, vibrate through the through the balloon, uh, and and hit the hit the, hit the hit the plaque. And what's what's really um uh kind of um kind of really the kind of the, the cooler like compelling elements of, of intravascular lithotripsy is that it's a very it's incredibly safe technology and it's very very easy to use. And so um, when most people think about you know generating a nuclear bomb inside a balloon, they're like, well, that kind of sounds dangerous. Well, in reality, these shock waves are incredibly safe to soft tissue. They don't do any they don't they don't do any harm to soft tissue. Uh, they only uh, they only produce a result against hard hard uh, hard um, kind of material, if you will, right? And and so calcium being one of them, right? As an example, if I had the balloon in my mouth, right, and and I was delivering shock waves against my teeth, I mean, I probably could crack my my tooth, as an example, right? So uh, the, the, uh, that's, that's, it's, it's really, it's really interesting technology in the sense that it's, it's, it's really, really safe. And the shockwaves really only impact that hard, that hard kind of material, that hard, hard calcific, uh, calcific plaque in this, in this particular uh, application. And then the other thing, Richard, that I mentioned is it's incredibly easy to use. And so this is just, this is, you know, most physicians, which I think is, is what you want to be thinking, you know, if, if you're an entrepreneur listening to this and you're, you're thinking about, you know, your own technology, um, for, for, for something to be truly adopted, it needs to be incredibly easy to use. And that's why IVL, that's one of the reasons IVL has taken off the way it has. It's because it's so easy. Unlike atherectomy, as an example, that is fairly technical, requires a reasonably steep learning curve, right? With, with IVL, there, there is very little learning curve at all. I mean, this is like, this is the equivalent of using an angioplasty balloon and, and hitting a button, right? In essence. So it's, it's really, 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 really uh, easy to use. So like that kind of that trifecta, it works well, right? It's clinically efficacious, extremely safe, and maybe again, most importantly, it's very, very, easy, very, very easy to use. Is that that's that's one of the you know the kind of the, the three core reasons why the technology has really really uh, taken off over the over the past uh, you know half decade or so. Well, Scott is really an expert on getting the sense here of explaining potentially really complex things into really like understandable and simple terms. So this is a brilliant start. Um, I, I'm wondering now about how all this translates as you move to market. You know. How are you going to take this forward? Yeah, yeah. So, so we're. The, um, I, I guess this kind of parlays into into your second question, which I, I hadn't addressed yet, which is why how fast wave is different and how we're kind of approaching kind of 
our clinical efforts and eventual commercialization is, I think what's unique about, about FastWave is that um, we're developing multiple uh, intravascular lithotripsy systems. And when I say multiple, uh, IVL systems that are built on different energy platforms, right? So we've got a peripheral system uh, that we that we feel is differentiated uh, versus Shockwave, although uh, is kind of built on a, on a similar type of energy uh, platform, similar mechanism of action, we think solves for some, uh, some clear gaps uh, in their platform. Um, and then in addition, we've also got a coronary system that is uh, completely differentiated, right? Is, 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 is built on a, a totally different energy system that we, we think inherently solves for a lot of the technical constraints that you run into with an electric-based IVL system. I say electric-based IVL system because that's, that's, that's what Shockwave's platform um, is. And so we've got kind of two different shots on goal, so to speak. I think Kyle, you'll, you'll like that analogy, right? Um, yeah. uh, you know, so I think that's what, that's what unique, that's what, that's what's unique about kind of what we're doing. And I think the counter to that argument, you know, that for those, you know, that are experienced in startups that are listening are like, geez, that seems like a lot, right? You're, you're doing two different systems. Why not focus on one? And, and to kind of touch on that, um, it, it's an interesting kind of story. And I think it might be helpful for, for, for everyone listening is that when we first started FastWave, we, we thought electric-based IVL, right? Um, there's, there's very, it, it's, 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 there's demonstrated clinical efficacy, right? Shockwave has done a great job. Uh, with that, um, demonstrating that over over multiple uh, clinical studies, um, there's a it's a reasonably straightforward Rayclin pathway, right? And so it kind of represented a sort of a fast track to market clearance, right? If we if we could truly address some of the gaps that you know, perceived gaps in, in in Shockwave's platform, which I think we've done with our with our peripheral uh, electric system, mm -hmm. but in addition, there's there's also some clear technical constraints, right? That that you just inherently run into with any electric based IVL platform, and we knew that, and so we thought a another energy uh, using utilizing another energy source, right, to to accomplish the same thing. May allow us to overcome some of those some of those hurdles, some of those technical hurdles that are just almost insurmountable with electric-based IBL. And so we started working on this, you know, that 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 secondary system, that sort of next-gen system, you know, gosh, eight, 18, almost two years, 18 months, almost two years ago now. But we didn't know if it was going to work, right? It was it was a science project at that point. But as we've methodically burned down risk, we now have kind of two platforms to to run with. And so our our kind of our our, our coronary uh, system is this, you know, kind of next-gen. Uh, IVL platform, whereas our kind of our our fast track, you know, uh, uh, path to to market clearance is our is our peripheral system. Are they both five ten k pathways? Uh, no, the peripheral is five ten k, and that 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 would be that would be the same regardless of what which type of energy system we chose, right? Uh, peripheral is always going to be a five ten k, but it is a clinical five ten k. So FDA does require clinical data. Sure. Uh, coronary, um, uh, the court for coronary applications, that's a PMA. You know, so that that's your that's a you know a much a much uh, you know more intense sort of lift, uh, uh, especially on the clinical side, right? We'll have to do um, you know early kind of pilot feasibility studies before we even commence on a, on a larger PMA pivotal uh, pivotal trial. Sure, yeah, no, there's no doubt that the PMA pathway obviously is a lot more. It's longer, far more complex. It's 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 a grueling process, but you know that's what it that's what's required. Obviously, when you have something unique that doesn't exist right in the market, um, and it's really cool to hear how you have those two technologies because I think a lot of times you know you obviously have great experience being on the investing side as well, um, and a lot of these investors are looking for that ROI. Uh, you know, they want to get to market fast and start generating revenue. Um, so you're you're doing that, but you're also giving them a look into the future and you're working on that now. Um, yep. So it just shows it just shows a much uh, greater vision. Um, really impressive. Um, you know, can you tell us to real quick about the, 
you know, you, you refer to shockwave as that electrical energy or whatnot. How is Hold on. I just, I'm, um, I might have missed something or I'm not connecting the dots, but then if, are you not leveraging electricity then, or, or how, where, how, what's your then energy? Like, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess without going too far into, into the weeds, I don't want to get my, my, myself in trouble with, <laughs> with, the, with the rest of our team or, or my board at Fastway. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so, so um, in, in, yes, yeah, so when I say electricity, I'm talking about the, the energy that's used to create cavitation, right, which we discussed, you know, a few minutes ago. Um, what what energy is used to create cavitation? That's kind of the, the, the main difference between the two systems. And when I say elect, electric based IVL, it's 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 current running down a catheter, right? That uh, is then um, you know fired into you know when I say fired, delivered into you know the contrast saline mix inside the angioplasty balloon mm. to generate these these these, cavi these, the, the, these cavitation bubbles. And so that's sort of electric you know IVL. But there's a whole host of other different energy sources that you could potentially use. To generate the same type of you know cavitation, um, and uh, that that's that's kind of you know circling back around to eighteen months to you know two years ago now, we had a kind of a, a thesis that you know some alternative energy sources might be better, right, um, to to generate uh, cavitation, and you know look you know not here here we are right again you know nearly two years later, and and you know we were. Fortunately, we're, we were right. <laughs> there are there are some better energy sources uh, to generate uh, to generate cavitation, and so yeah, we feel we feel good about kind of kind of where we're at with that 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 approach. And I, I think that um, even more so in this market, there's uh, there's money is is very difficult to come by, right? Capital to to, to fund your your startup, and so kind of our our kind of from a business perspective, our our thought of getting to market quickly, right, with a peripheral electric IVL system that we feel is still differentiated versus versus Shockwave, yet having kind of a next gen kind of pipeline product, it is a is a nice play. It's a nice kind of uh it, it's a nice position uh to to, to be in. And it and it kind of represents a, you know, again, that kind of two two shots on goal um for for any investors that are interested in um in uh and you know, and partnering with with Fastwave, so it's a it's a bit of a unique approach, but we we feel good about kind of kind of where we're at. And I I think um, if it the, I, I say all that because it is, it is definitely more resource intensive, right? Running multiple uh, uh, PDPs in, in parallel, there's also a lot of synergy, um, you know, in, in doing that too. And so you know, if there wasn't the synergy, um, you know, we may we may you know I may have different feelings about about the approach uh, as well. But there there is there's a lot of a, a lot of synergy and kind of moving both programs uh, along in, in parallel. That's great. And and I guess like, so here you are, you know, you've got your product built, you're, you're on your way to commercialization. I know we've talked in the past, you mentioned maybe in the next 18 months. Um, so kind of what's the, the approach to your clinical initiatives? And um, tell us kind of your mindset for patient enrollment for uh, and your strategy for these clinicals. Yeah, yeah. And so we're, I mean, I, I don't think we'll probably go too deep into how we're approaching kind of our go-to-market strategy, right? Because as you yeah. mentioned, we still got to get through our pivotal, our pivotal trial on our on our peripheral, you know, program, and that obviously is 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 different than even the the, the PMA pivotal for our, our coronary app, uh, coronary system. So, you know, we're still a, we're still a ways out for sure. But I think that the, the important point for you know founders, you know, entrepreneurs that are listening to this the, the, to this show is that you need to be thinking about your go-to-market strategy very early on in the process, right? Even even as early as when you're starting to bring on physician advisors. You know, because there, there's there's a lot of you, you want to you make sure kind of like that that physician advisory team is balanced when you know in terms of you know a couple examples would be 
in our case, right, do they practice in an OBL or ASC, or do they practice predominantly in a hospital? Um, what, what are the, where do they really drive influence, right? Do they drive influence kind of with below the knee peripheral applications, or are they more of a peripheral generalist, or are they a high risk PCI? Do they have a lot of influence when it comes to high risk, you know, uh, uh, PCI applications? So that you just want to be thinking about kind of a well rounded advisory team that could eventually help you when, when it does come to not only enrolling uh, in clinical trials, but also, you know, in, in, in commercialization and getting, getting through value analysis committees, right, and helping to drive some of that early, early utilization out of the gate. And then, you know, with respect to kind of clinical trials, which is probably more pertinent to kind of where we're at, is, you know, I, I, I grew up kind of in, 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 in commercialization functions, right, in the, in the device space. So maybe it's a little bit, I lean, I lean a little bit more towards thinking, thinking that way. Um, but I very much view um, how we approach uh, our clinical trials kind of kind of from a sell a sales mindset, right? And um, the most, you know, where a lot of startups um, get get burned, so to speak, when it comes to clinical trials is just they they cannot enrollment is you know is really really slow, and that you know when you when you think back and kind of reverse engineer why enrollment would be slow, maybe they select the selected the wrong sites, maybe they didn't. Uh, create enough. Uh, maybe they didn't. Maybe they didn't build enough uh, kind of relationship at that at that uh, specific site, et cetera. There's a number of reasons why enrollment could be slow. But for any startup, you really want to optimize around enrollment in your trials. I mean, if you can get through enrollment incredibly fast, right? Uh, you can get on to kind of the, the next stage of of of, of uh, your your next initiative. And so for us, you know, a lot a lot of what we're doing now is is thinking about like how do we optimize and plan in advance. To to really enhance and accelerate enrollment through our through our, through our trials and you know adopting kind of a sales mindset and the sales approach um, is I think really really important. In fact, it's it's one of the things I, I remember interviewing um, uh, Duke Rolin, uh, gosh years ago, um, and it's one of the things that he mentioned. We were talking a little bit about um, Stellarex, which was uh, I'm trying to remember the company name, but it, anyway, it's a drug coded balloon. He was talking about their approach to clinical trials, and he mentioned something. He was like, one of the things that we we did really well with that particular trial is like. We were very, very um, 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 kind of aware or cognizant of trying to build relationships at each local site, like really, really good relationships. Like he or someone from his team would go out, right, to 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 do the onboarding for that particular site in order to really foster really good relationships. And so I think you know that kind of circles back around to having kind of a sales mindset around how do we how do we effectively drive commercialization with or enrollment in a clinical trial? Well, it's sort of like soft launching your your device, really, you know, um, uh, in terms of uh, uh, in terms of eventual com commercialization. So I think I think thinking about clinical trials in that sort of capacity is is really really important. And you know, some some sort of Haters, so to speak, maybe or or, or or critiques of that belief would be say would say, oh no, you need to separate the two. You know, your your kind of sales and marketing needs to be separate from clinical. And it's like, I don't really buy into that that approach, right? Um, I I don't. I, I think you need to you need to you know be you know be fully aware uh, of of how you're collecting and, and and managing and running your trial, but to completely distinctly separate clinical from kind of business and sales, I mean, I, I think is foolish and a, and a mistake that you know some some startups make. Mm, they That's super insightful. Go hand in hand. Yeah. Go ahead, Richard. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, and I guess connected to this, Scott, is the whole reimbursement part. I wondered what the sort of approach, and you could tell the audience a little bit more how you're thinking. Like the regulatory bar is one, and often the payer bar is a different bar. So, like, what's that approach been like for you as a team and thinking about your go to market? Yeah, it's a really good point. And fortunately for us, the the reimbursement kind of pathway is is has already been. Um, um, uh, I guess trodden by by Shockwave, right? They, they they've built that, and their team has done a phenomenal job. And and, and in fact, um, in kind of the the, the back half of two thousand twenty three, CMS actually um, uh, introduced 
new DRG codes uh, specific for IVL uh, coronary applications, um, which I, I, these were the first new DRG codes, and I think in you know close to twenty years within the field of, of PCI or coronary intervention, which is you know a, a really really um, kind of uh, major major milestone. So kudos kudos to their team, but they've kind of they, they've sort of done that right, so so to speak. They they built that kind of reimbursement pathway, so it's it's less of a concern for us. But I think Richard, your point about thinking about reimbursement as early as possible that's huge. And and, and from my perspective, I think it's probably the, the biggest hurdle. Uh, to cross uh, outside of reg and, and, and clinical, I think is, is reimbursement. In fact, um, one of my good friends, Nick Anderson, who's uh, spent most of his career kind of in health economics and market access, you know, he, he I remember him mentioning something to me one time. He was like, you know, the, the, one, one of the things that I often see with startups is that um, they, they may have a great board, right, or a great team uh, around them with really, really strong KOLs or really deep engineering uh, uh, team, maybe some senior management that has, you know, been there, done that. But they've literally got no um, no stakeholders that represent payers. And he's like, I see it time and time again. If you don't have existing reimbursement, you need to be you need to be thinking about your your KOLs, so to speak, that represent payers, that represent coverage and reimbursement. And if you're not thinking about that very early on, it's a huge huge mistake. And so, um, in fact, it's it's one of the things that I that I see, you know, uh, with with various ideas that kind of come across my my desk is that it could be an amazing technology, amazing idea. That solves a really a really important need, a really big need, and there's really nothing else uh, you know available uh, in the market uh, to do this one thing. But like the big like one of the biggest biggest questions I often have is like, how's this going to get paid? Who who pays for this, right? Um, and and if that's not clear, if you can't succinctly answer that that question, man, that that's a really long road. And I think that's 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 again, that's probably the biggest hurdle that you're going to face beyond you know Reg and Flynn. 100%. I think if there's anything to take away from today's discussion, it's just to have that up front. As you say, it's got to be the number one thing you're thinking about from day one is how am I going to get paid? Yeah. If that's not on the agenda, then you know, you're potentially going to trip yourself up further down the line. Yep. Yep. 100%. And I think, um, you know, kind of circling back to around to, to what I mentioned, um, Nick had, had told me is like he, he, he oftentimes recommends, you know, for he, and he has a lot of conversations with startups that are kind of trying to think, think through, you know, coverage and, and reimbursement early on and are doing the smart thing. And one of the, one of the, one of the, sort of, you know, hacks or tactics that he encourages them to do is like, hey, if there's if there's an opportunity to bring on someone from Optum, someone from United, someone from Blue Cross in, into your board or into your advisor team early on, he's like, do it, take full advantage. If you have some sort of relationship there, or maybe they're, you know, acutely familiar with your therapeutic arena, and it just, it, it makes sense anyway for them to, you know, you know, proactively kind of, kind of, you know, be, be thinking about, you know, who, who are your KOLs, who are your influencers, right, on the, on the, on the payer and, uh, and kind of re reimbursement uh, side, side of the equation. Well, I'm hoping people have got their pens and papers here because there's just knowledge <laughs> bombs left, right, and center. Uh, I'm kind of wondering, you guys are obviously a pretty experienced team and, you know, this is not your first rodeo, but are there other challenges, Kyle? We also, we discussed this a lot, um, you know, and things that you've come across so far. You guys have moved pretty fast in the last three, four years. Yeah, I mean, uh, with, with any startup, there's, there's uh, I, I would say at, at, at at a at a high level, there's there's always going to be challenges, right? Uh, <laughs> and uh, and if you don't if you don't sort of approach um, you know startups eyes eyes wide open um, in in the sense that like you may feel good one week and the very next week there's like a you know five to ten fires that you need to be putting out, you know uh, that's just the the name of the game with startups. In fact, um, I was having this this chat with a buddy of mine recently. It's like that's probably the the, the biggest thing that I, I underappreciated when you know the first half of my career when I was at large strategics, right? And I had this itch that to to want to do startups and to, to be involved in a startup. It's like I, I saw kind of all the, the the sexy headlines about startups exiting and raising money and doing cool things. It's like 
I had no idea how hard it really is, you know? Um, and it, and it, and if you're not, I mean, if you're not, if you've never done it, right. Uh, that that's one thing, but it's just, that, that's, that's part, it's part of the deal, right? Every single day, every single week, there's going to be some sort of challenge and that's normal. That's normal. You're not doing anything wrong. If that's just the reality of pushing a boulder up a hill and the friction that comes with that, you know? Um, and so that's just a kind of a normal kind of reality. Um, you know, and I was just, I was actually just re reading this, this piece, I think it was even just last night. Um, and I'm trying to remember who, who, who the quote came from. It was someone kind of well, well known within the startup ecosystem. And they were, they were talking about the role of a CEO in, in, in a startup. And they're like, I, I, I see, I see so many CEOs that like, you know, once they raise their next round of capital, um, and you know, they, they have the opportunity to kind of build out a more round, well-rounded team. They're like, ah, oh, I can kind of take a step back now. Right. I've got a team that can kind of execute and do everything for me and then report back in. And, and he was like, that, that's so wrong. He's like, as the CEO of a startup, even if you've got kind of a, a growing team, the onus is on you to continue to drive urgency every day, every week, every month, every quarter. And that really resonated with me because it's so, it's so true, right? Um, uh, as kind of the, the leader of, of a, whether a small organization or a large organization, it's kind of on, on you as the, as the CEO or, or senior management team, right, to really drive the urgency uh, for what you're trying to accomplish. And so um, I think that's, that's another kind of, you know, uh, hard, hard reality of, 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 of startups. But yeah, but, but um, kind of circling back around to your question, Richard, I mean, this sounds cliche, but but team is so important. Um, I mean, it's so so important. Um, and, and when I say team, it doesn't necessarily have. I'm not necessarily referring to you know full time employees. You know, it could be your 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 close team of consultants, right? They may be part time consultants, maybe even full time consultants. But it's so so crucial. And I think everyone listening has probably heard that over and over again. Team, team, team. But it it, it is so it's so true, and it makes such a such a huge difference when you have a team that just is focused and 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 can execute. And that's not to say everyone does things flawless by any stretch of the imagination, but it, it, it does make a night and day difference when you have a team that kind of understands how startups work and are, you know, are very, uh, very, you know, high, high, you know, dialed in highly focused on kind of getting to the next uh, milestone, right? Getting to, you know, nailing the next sort of, uh, getting the next sort of inflection point. So really, really crucial um, thing, to, thing to be thinking about. Yeah, yeah, interesting. I'd like to jump in too, Richard, because... You know, when you're talking about some of these challenges, you know, oftentimes, yeah, going back, you do hear it, you know, almost every company that we have on this show talk about, you know, reimbursement and fundraising. And I just think, think it's interesting, though, you know, how, you know, the reimbursement is there already, right? And uh, the funding side, Scott, I, you know, I, I read on your website there that you, you I believe, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, were able to raise $6 million dollars in the first what six months of in, from the inception of your business i mean that is remarkable to be able to you know bring in that that type of funding so while those are challenges for others it doesn't necessarily sound like they're really the big challenges for you um which is which i guess is great and maybe i'm wrong but you know i guess like like, are you, what about the development side though, to your technology? Mm -hmm. Obviously what you've described to us early on, is like, this is a sophisticated piece of technology. There's no mm -hmm. doubt. I mean, very easy to use, right? Simple to use, right? But, but very complex. I mean, you're talking about atomic bomb <laughs> analogies going off in these balloons, right? And how they only impact hard, you know, calcified, you know, cal mm -hmm. calcification rather than soft tissue. And it just sounds amazing to me. And, and, and you're obviously, you're moving really fast. Speed to markets, everything. So are you, are you actually, 
are there challenges on the development side of your technology today? And like, what does that look like? Yeah. Yeah. And I know we talk about kind of like how to, how to like, you know, some things around how to address challenges at a high level, but like just to kind of drill, drill into that and, and double click into that. I, I mean, a, a couple of things come to mind. One is development related, right? A couple of specific challenges and the other, the other is fundraising. And I'll, I'll tackle the, the fundraising aspect here in, 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 a, in a second, but one common theme um, I, I think um, that, that we've experienced over the past couple of years is just the, the, the understanding and the notion of going far and wide. And so what I mean by that is from a development standpoint, um, early on, this was probably, um, gosh, back half of 2021 through kind of all of 2022. And I think we're seeing some easement of this is, is supply chain related, right? This is not an uncommon challenge for any engineering folks um, or manufacturing folks that are listening to this. But the 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 we ran into significant supply chain issues um, early on. And the, 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 the onus on us as a team was to not just rely on kind of your, your, your traditional kind of go-to uh, players, right? We had to go far and wide, you know, we, and, and we did. Uh, when I say far and wide, not just here in the US, but, you know, glo globally to, to identify, you know, key uh, components that we felt were, were high risk, right? To, to, our, to our development at that, at that period in time. And so I think that that's really, really crucial is, is just understanding that, hey, you may have, you know, you may be developing your technology in Boston or Silicon Valley or Minneapolis or, you know, or Houston or whatever. And there may be kind of your, your go-to kind of uh, 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 component suppliers, right? But I would encourage everyone listening to, you know, talk to people like yourself, Kyle, right? Talk, go, go far and wide to, to uh, um, when, when trying to identify and address those high risk kind of uh, yeah, components or, or part, aspects of your, your supply chain. So that, you know, and that, that actually work, did work out uh, for us. Right. I mean, I think, I think that really helped us kind of get through some significant development hurdles early on is by, 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 you know, having a little bit more of a, a global mindset uh, to our supply chain, even though we're a, you know, a small, a small startup. Um, but to answer your, to, to the other issue, I kind of wanted to, to address quickly too, is fundraising. Um, and you, yeah. So, so, with us specifically, we ra we raised our you know twelve million dollars Series A within you know three to four months, I think, which is pretty pr pretty quick in in, in MedTech, especially oh, double kinda... than what I double. Than <laughs> oh, okay, my bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, no. no. Well, it, it, it did come in two tranches, right? Two six million dollar tranches. Oh. So you know, yeah, yeah, that, that's wow. uh, you know, you're you're uh, some somewhat somewhat accurate. Um, but but I, I we did raise that pretty quick, and I think even more maybe interesting or compelling is that we ended up raising almost uh, another close to close to. Uh, eight figures um, in, in capital um, in, in the summer of, of last year, summer of, of, of 23. And we did that in less than a month. And so if you think about, you know, raising that that amount of capital in that period of time, right? Last last year was brutal, a brutal fundraising environment. Right. We, we did it exceptionally quickly. And I, and I think um, um, probably even more interesting is that, you know, a very significant percentage of that, that fundraise came from physician KOLs. Um, and so, you know, these are, these are, Docs that either run conferences or active on on podium, and they're writing you know very large personal checks into Fastway because they not only believe in in, in intravascular lithotripsy, but they they have a, a strong confidence in our team, um, which which I think is is you know, we're incredibly grateful for and, and excited about how uh, uh, how we can move forward with that that kind of vested interest right in, in, in the company, and so. Um, I say all that because fundraising is is even though what I just how I just, just described it may kind of sound easy, it's like it, it is not easy at all uh, by any stretch of the imagination. And a lot of the interviews that I do I do for MedSider, we talk about fundraising. And what always amazes me is like I'll be interviewing you know some someone who's had maybe three or four exits under their belt, right? Has raised hundreds of millions of dollars of capital. And they're in the process of raising maybe their Series A, or their Series B. And I'm always amazed by the fact that 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 they comment on how difficult it is. 
even though they've been, they've done it, right? They've exited, they've raised hundreds of millions of dollars, and it's still hard. And you know, in fact, I was I was just interviewing um, uh, Dr. Stephen Michelson, who invented the Ferropulse device, which is kind of getting a lot of buzz these days. You know, especially with with, with Boston Scientific, and now he's he's on to field medical. And I I, I sort of expected I, we had the same same similar conversation. I was like, you know, he just raised um. A, a very large seed round. I think it was like 14 million ish seed round or something like that. Sure. And I was like, you know, what generally speaking, like, how did that go? He was like, well, I mean, maybe a little bit easier because I, you know, I've, I've done it before. He's like, but it's not hard. <laughs> I, he's, he's like, I, I mean, it's not easy. It's right. extremely hard um, to, to, to raise capital. And I think, you know, the, the kind of similar to what we talked about earlier, you know, Richard of like kind of thinking about things early on, right. And trying to look, look around the corner, not just the the corner that's a month ahead, but a year ahead, 18 months ahead, you know, you need to be thinking about uh, capital fundraising with that sort of time timeline or time frame in mind. You know, so if you if 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 historically it's taking it's taken whatever three four months to raise a Series A, right, or a Series B, you want to probably double that that time frame, right? And um and and that that's when you're like knee deep in 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 fundraising. Uh, of course, you probably want to start months, if not quarters, ahead of that, building relationships with potential investors. Uh, that doesn't mean that you're actively fundraising per se, but I think it's it's really really crucial to be talking to a lot of potential you know uh, companies and 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 uh, firms, family offices, angels, high net worth individuals, traditional VCs. You want to be raising awareness and telling your story as early as possible. I'm a big big believer in that. Um, you know, there's a there's you know I think you guys have come across a lot of startups that that still kind of run in stealth mode, and I I don't. I just, I, I don't, I don't, I think there's very few reasons why you'd want to do that these days. Um, in fact, I think it's, 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 it's much, much more important to be to kind of telling your story in, in, in public, right. As early as possible and kind of your vision and, and, you know, directly kind of where you're headed. And that's why I think like podcasts like yours, it's, it's, it's huge, huge for startups, right. I mean, to be able to kind of have this type of conversation and talk about kind of what you're building and where you see, you know, the therapy going, it's, it's a, it's a huge, huge opportunity. I hope, I hope more startups take advantage of like, you know, shows like, like yours, you know, so. Well, thank you, Scott. And right back at you, man. I mean, <laughs> with something similar the last, you know, well, over a decade too, right? And then um, I think as sales and marketing, you know, folks like us, you know, we've realized the power of communicating and telling your story, right? And and when people get to kind of hear it from you and and get to get to really know, see how you work and tick and think, right? That's where you like, that's how you get people to, to come to you, right? You're mm -hmm. going to attract, that's how the universe, like you're going to attract people in that universe to you. That's going to help you on your journey, you know? Totally. And, and so that's such a great point. I'm so glad you got into that. Um, that's yeah. And that, and that surround sound effect. I mean, I, I think the easiest way to think about this is like, if, 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 um, let, let's say there's an important conference, right? And you, like most startups think that if I could just get my doc to talk about the device on stage or something, that's a huge win. But I think what you want to you want to take it a step further and think about okay what what happens when that doc goes to dinner with his group of friends his his physician friends like what are they talking about at dinner can you is there a part is there is there is there a play where you can be part of that conversation right at dinner or offline or off podium that that's where I think is you know you sort of take it to the next level and kind of creating that surround sound sort of effect and and, and talking about what you're doing and building in the public domain I think is really really important and you know it may be a little bit atypical maybe you know some people may say ah. I'm scared of doing that or I'm going to get in trouble or whatever. It's like, well, I mean, what, 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 I don't know. I think there's way more reward uh, versus risk, you know, in, in kind of telling, telling your story in the, in, in the public domain. Yeah. And getting comfortable telling that story. I mean, clearly you've been there and done this before many times, but it's something certainly we try to educate the companies coming through our accelerator program is, you know, 
you need to have a really succinct story. You need to have yeah. that messaging down from the branding, right down to your company name, your strap line, everything that goes beyond that. And just get used to saying that again and again, because you yeah. want, to your point, people to be talking about you after they've heard about it. And yeah, so yeah. Like, again, such great advice. No doubt. I I uh, I, I just uh, published an interview recently with with uh, Ken, and I'm gonna mispronounce his last name, Mariah, I believe. Uh, Ken, if you're listening, don't don't kill me for that. But he's the CEO of Synaptico. It's in the neuromodulation space. Really, really thoughtful entrepreneur. Like it's gonna be fun to see what they do. I mean, he he brought some juice to that that particular conversation, which is really really fun. But uh, he mentioned something something similar. He's like, as a startup. Like you need, you need to, if you, if you can't effectively answer this question in like one or two sentences, you need to kind of go back to the drawing board. It was like, why, why would I buy this? Right. Mm -hmm. Why would I buy what you're building? Right. And, 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 and it could be put, put your shoes, put your shoes in the, in the self and investor. Why would I invest in what you're building or a, a doc? Why would I, why would I use what you're, what you're building a hospital? Why would I buy what you're building? But if you can't effectively answer that question very succinctly, you know, very quickly, then again, you kind of need to, you need to, that message needs to be re, you know, refined. And I think, I mean, Richard, to your point for any startups, even if you think, gosh, we, we just have an idea on paper, beginning to kind of think about that and, 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 you know, kind of refine that, that narrative, I think is really, really important because, you know, you just, you need to be having a lot of conversations, right. To get your thing out of the starting blocks, to get your venture, uh, you know, going. Um, and hopefully, you know, the, the more you can kind of refine your message and tell a really good story, you know, the more people are going to be leaning in, right, to what you're building versus kind of like, you know, leaning leaning back. So you guys are in a great place. As Kyle mentioned earlier, you've got some capital in the bank. Um, I, I guess, you know, we were speaking a little bit before we started this conversation about it's always busy. You know, you have a, even a busy Christmas time and you guys have <laughs> some exciting things coming up. So, you know, you're sitting down now. What does the next 6, 12, 18 months look like for yeah. your team? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's really, really... Um, exciting year but but if i'm being honest kind of daunting too because it's like man there's a lot going on in 2024 no doubt um so so both kind of fun and exciting but also a little bit a little bit scary too <laughs> uh, but yeah so we're recording this you know in early early 24 but uh we're on the precipice of, of enrolling uh our our, our first in human uh, patients um and so we'll, we'll have that that study wrapped up within an, uh, another week uh huge huge shout out to you know doctors uh, miguel montero and, and vinky ramaya who'll be supporting us in that effort. Uh, really, really fun to work with uh, uh, really great partners there. Uh, and really, really, you know, kudos to the rest of our our, our team uh, that that's led up to this event. So it's a, it's a huge milestone for us. So yeah, we're on, we're on that, and then um uh, and that'll, that'll, that will that will hopefully segue into our uh, our pivotal trial um, this year as well in 2024 um, on on the on the peripheral side, uh, and then on the on the coronary side, um, you know, making really good progress. Really excited about kind of what what we're doing um, with our preclinical efforts. Uh, to further demonstrate the performance of our um, of our of our kind of differentiated um, IVL energy system, and and again we hope to we hope to be in in patients uh, this year too on on the coronary side as well. So a lot of a lot of clinical efforts this year for sure that will really start to ramp up kind of mid uh, mid twenty four towards the back half of the year, and you know to to the to to kind of based on kind of what we what we talked about earlier, you know we're 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 trying to do our best to really think about. One not only not only how to optimize right for 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 you know quick enrollment across these studies, but who are our ideal partners, right? Um, uh, physician partners, hospital partners, uh, clinic partners, right? That can help set the stage uh, for either on you know further clinical studies or or, or commercialization. And so we're 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 not going to do it perfect, right? But I, I think you know the the fact that we're thinking about it uh, now and really trying to uh, look you know pe peek around the corner is uh is you know is is ho hopefully will yield some yield some fruit. And, and Scott, what about, I guess, five years from now, right? Everyone <laughs> asks this question, but 
where do you see fast wave being yeah so if i it's it's a it's a it's a great question and i'll i'll answer it this way which i think is hopefully a little bit more educational for for most people um you you I think there's 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 like there's two scenarios that most that will that will play out for most medtech startups, right? Either either an exit to a strategic, right, which is most common in M&A event, um, or a potential IPO, right? Um, or, or or if you're successful enough, you you can actually you know you could commercialize and be be profitable, uh, but that's that's pretty that's that's pretty rare, <laughs> right? Uh, and so um, so we're we're thinking about the, you know um, all, all three of those kind of different different scenarios. Um, you know, there's a scenario where Fastwave has a longer runway. And we raise additional rounds of capital and eventually IPO. So we're 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 we've got a plan in place uh, for that for that path, right? That's kind of that that five year plan, right? Is like you know um, getting in market, building out a sales team, uh, et cetera. Um, and you know we're we're trying to even on that note, even though we're a little bit further off from commercialization, we're you know we're beginning to loop in some really really strong sales folks into into kind of the the, the fold that can help us kind of navigate you know what that looks like, even though it may not be you know. A year or two, uh, even though you know we're a year or two from from now from actually actually launching the devices. So that's kind of the the long term, more five year plan. But also we're we're thinking about you know what what is it what is a potential you know if there's interest from strategics which which there is there's a lot of interest in IBL as you can imagine with with Shockwave being the only only player you know the rest of the cardiovascular strategics do not have an IBL technology in their portfolio so a lot of lot of strategic interest too so we're, we're you know we're having those types of conversations as well um, with 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 every everyone right um, that is is potentially interested so I think the the most important point. Uh, you know, without sharing too much, really, is for any any startups, founders, CEOs, you know, leaders that are kind of running early stage companies to be thinking about multiple paths, right? Again, kind of under this theme of going far and far and wide, you need to be thinking about multiple paths and making making the necessary necessary kind of you know planning and, and road mapping for for each one. Um, even though you may have a strong feeling, uh, you know, of how this could is likely to go. You need to be having, I mean, if you're, if you're, if all your eggs are in one basket, I mean, that's not, that's likely not going to turn out great, you know? Um, so I think having, having multiple plans and multiple roadmaps that kind of ladder up to that plan is, uh, is, uh, or, or goals, I should say is, um, is, uh, is important. Yeah. I mean, this has been such a, a fruitful conversation. I mean, full of so many tips and advice, um, you know, from, from your go-to-market strategy, uh, uh, to fundraising, I mean everything, right? Uh, and developing the technology, um, being forward-thinking, leadership—you know—I mean, you are the definition of a leader, and <laughs> uh, it's really cool. It's inspiring to see because it, it, you are—you're, you're, I think, a, a, the future of what really leadership looks like. And I would imagine um, it helps you attract great people. Um, so there's probably folks listening right to this podcast that would want to work for you, for you, and with you. And you know, how would these people? What's the best way for them to you know get in touch with you? Yeah, well, I mean, I before I before I mention that, I, pr I definitely appreciate the kind words. I mean, th those those mean a lot, especially coming from from you guys um, that you know are, are pretty deep in the in the medtech space. Um, but I I am not without my faults for sure. Um, <laughs> there's very very clear gaps, right? Where I I, I think I. I should say known and probably unknown, you know, gaps, right? But I, I do my best to try to address the known the known gaps and kind of my my leadership style. Um, but uh, but with that, but that said, yeah, for anyone listening that's kind of like leaning in, hopefully maybe a little bit or like interested maybe in kind of what we're doing at Fastwave. Um, yeah, the, the website's fastwavemedical.com, just as it as it as it sounds, uh, fastwavemedical.com. Um, yeah, encourage everyone to kind of check out the site. You can you know our our contact information is is uh is right there. Uh, we've got you know um. 
uh, options to kind of opt in, I guess, to, uh, to, uh, to, to our, uh, to our email lists, right. Which again, mm -hmm. is another thing that we maybe didn't talk about for early startups is like, make it easy, make it easy for people to kind of, you know, uh, provide their email address, right. So you can stay in touch with them. I think that's another, another thing that I, I think most, a lot of startups don't think about is like, make, make that easy for people that kind of have an interest, you know, that, that, uh, that you want to communicate with down the road. So again, fastwavemedical.com uh, is the, is the site. Well, what a way to start the year. I mean, this has been such a great conversation. I feel energized. I feel like there's been so much great advice given through this conversation. Uh, again, I would highly recommend for any early stage company going and checking out fastwavemedical.com just as a template for like the team you've assembled, the messaging you have and your whole approach to how you're taking this technology to market. So thank you again for joining us. Yeah, I really, really appreciate you guys uh, having, having me on. And I think for everyone listening, like highly encourage you to kind of, you know, double click into, into, into shows like this, you know what I mean? Hopefully there's, you know, some nuggets that, that I shared that may, may be helpful, but I think the most important thing is just to kind of be, you know, kind of in, in the mix, right. Uh, you know, listening to, to programs like, like yours, I think you guys are doing a, a great job. I love, I love the energy, you know what I mean? So, uh, yeah. Um, the more, the more stories we can tell about people that are building, building startups in, in our, in our space, I think the better. That's right. Awesome. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, another huge thank you to Scott Nelson at Fastwave Medical. And thank you all for tuning in to another episode of the MedTech Impact Podcast. I'm Kyle Cruz. And I'm Richard Mikuljan. Until next time, keep innovating. <laughs>